It is only sin and the remnants of sin that will cause us to tire of praising our God. Turn with Luke chapter 2. Turn with Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Once again, I just encourage you tonight to come back as we celebrate through a, a hymn saying the incarnation of our, our Lord and Savior. This morning we want to look in Luke chapter 2 and we'll specifically focus on 8 to 14, but I'm going to read verses 1 to 21. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Notice how Luke ties everything so closely to historical record. He's been called a historian of the first rank. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, the town of, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, there the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel 
before he was conceived in the womb. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we have the very word of God to testify to the coming of our Savior. A sure and true record of the incarnation, the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who humbled himself by taking to himself a true human nature. God and man in one person forever coming to save us. So stir us and strengthen us and focus us. Open our hearts and minds to your truth. And may your spirit take your truth and do heart surgery as we look into your word. Bless me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Bless us to hear it in the power of the Spirit with diligence to understand and apply it because it is the very Word of God. Lord, we praise You this morning and we thank You for the privilege of sitting under Your Word. Do Your work. We pray for it and ask for it. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. We sing that, don't we? We sing that, but not as well as the angels sang it. But that's the, that's the angels' message in our text today. This is a glorious, heaven-sent Birth announcement. Birth announcements usually bring joy, don't they? And they get out quicker today than ever in the past. A baby is born and out it goes over social media, Facebook, Twitter. I can't get used to X. Instagram. Social media has transformed the way birth announcements are done. A baby is born. People know. And some birth announcements make a big splash. But listen to me. All of them are ordinary compared to the birth announcement we have in our text today. Jesus' birth is announced by an angel of the Lord and celebrated by a multitude of heavenly hosts. And if we were planning this, we would have said, okay, so this is going to be angels coming and announcing the birth of the Lord. We're going to wait until a time in history when social media is here, when we can live stream it all over the planet. And that might seem like a good idea to us, but listen, we would have messed it up. God's way is perfect, both for His glory and our joy. Great joy, our text says. Listen, just stop right there and ask yourself, do you really believe that's what God is after for you? Listen, if you see God as some kind of killjoy, you don't get it. You just don't get it. I know I was that way too, going my own way, thinking I was doing the right thing, or at least the right thing for me, pursuing happiness with all my zeal and never quite catching it. Great joy is what we have before us. 
What is the chief end of man? Great glory and great joy. To glorify and enjoy God. God wants us not just to bear with Him, but to enjoy Him forever. And the key to that enjoyment is right here in this text. So today, this is our second message in the series, No Ordinary Birth. This message is No Ordinary Announcement from right here in Luke 2, verses 8 to 14. And the main point is this. Embrace the good news of the birth of your Savior and live in the great joy He has provided. Embrace the good news of the birth of your Savior and live in the great joy. That he has provided. Look back at the text first in verse 8. No ordinary. It's a, it is an ordinary audience. A very ordinary audience. We're talking about shepherds here. In the same region of Bethlehem. Right? There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds lived nomadic lives. Lived in the field and watching over their sheep. They were often viewed as uneducated and they were marginalized. But they were also a type of the coming Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. He was coming to shepherd His people. Most of whom are lowly in the world's standards. Christ came for the most part, not, not but for the most part to save the lowly. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly, but the haughty He knows from afar. The poor in spirit He regards. The one who knows their need of His grace and mercy. The one who knows that they themselves are not worthy. And the one who's in lowly conditions for the most part. The Lord is high and lifted up, but He regards the lowly. And the proof of that is the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One more more verse just to remind us normally what we can expect in the church. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many, didn't say not any, doesn't it? But not many. Not many were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose. You're going to have to learn to deal with that. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring the nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast In the presence of God. Any ground we see for boasting before God. Is an illusion. Outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. These guys are doing what they did night after night. Don't just read over this. Right? They're out there in the field. It's not the most comfortable place. It's not the most glorious place. Maybe they're sitting around a fire and there's some firelight on them and they're talking about the status of their flock or who knows what. But it's an ordinary night. It's a night like many, many other nights. No expectation of anything extraordinary. Just doing their thing, taking care of their flock. 
And doing that in kind of a community. Notice it says shepherds. So there's a number of them there, not just one. Maybe they're eating. Maybe it was midnight as we sang. We don't know. It was dark. They're keeping watch over their flock by night just like they did every other night. So this is, this is a very ordinary audience. And we know, we know what's coming, don't we? Because we, we can read ahead. They didn't know what was coming. They're settling into an evening there of keeping watch over the flock. And wow, what happened? Look at verse 9. Now, notice the quickness of this and think about the quickness of this and how that would have been experienced. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is an extraordinary announcement starting in verse 9. Point number two, went through one quick. Don't hope that for all of them. (laughs) And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Now, think about this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, to shepherds out in the field. um, Not a huge group. God decided before the foundation of the world that when his son was born, the announcement would come to these guys in the field, to this ordinary group of shepherds. He didn't, this angel didn't appear over the governor's palace, over the temple, but over the lowly shepherds. But again, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. So imagine that. Maybe they were sitting around a fire. And you know some light comes from the fire. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shone. And just evaporates the light that would come from the fire. So bright. All of a sudden. What would you be doing? Oh, cool, man. No. We would have done exactly what they did. Look at this. And they were filled with great fear. They have no, they have no idea what's going on yet. All they know is suddenly, whew, have, you ever, have you ever been in the dark or dim light and all of a sudden you get hit with a bright light? You can't see anything for a while. And in this situation, that would have been pretty scary. And in our situation, it would have been pretty scary. In fact, look it back at your text. It says, and they were filled with, not just fear, great fear. They were filled with great fear. I, I see all the other translations and I like them somewhat. I like the ESV somewhat. But the King James just is the best right here for me. It says they were sore afraid. They were sore afraid. They were freaked out. If there had been anything to crawl under, they would have crawled under it. And you would have been scared too. And the angel thankfully speaks. And and we said this when we talked about Mary and the appearance of Mary. What's the first thing they say? Fear not. You know why? Because they're fearing. With great fear. They're about to die. 
They are about to have a heart attack. And the angel says, fear not. Tell me a little more, angel. I need some more. Why should I not be afraid? Look what he says. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Look, look back at that. Don't be afraid. Behold, this is why I'm bringing you good news of great joy. My purpose for being here tonight is to bring you good news of great joy. Literally, good news. And you see this in some other translations. If you read the NIV, if you read the Net, you read some of the others, it expands on that a little bit. It helps you see the idea. Good news. Don't fear because I'm bringing you good news that brings great joy. I'm bringing you a message that will bring great joy. Literally, it's this. If you read it literally in the Greek, I evangelize you to great joy. The angel didn't say, I have a mildly stirring message for you. I have something you may or may not find interesting. No. He tells them, I evangelize you to great joy. I bring, I'm bringing you good news of great joy. And that, that begins to kind of, they start to take a breath at that point. Okay, whatever's going on here, this being is telling us that he's bringing us good news that will bring us great joy. So I'm, I'm starting to be a little bit comforted by this situation. But I don't want you to skip over that. Look back at verse 10. What the angel is bringing is good news that brings great joy. Good news. Notice what it doesn't say. Good news that might bring great joy. No, this is good news that brings great joy. Because behind this good news is the Holy Spirit of the living God applying this gospel to hearts that will set them on fire with this kind of great joy if they get it. Look at me. If the gospel doesn't bring you great joy, you don't get it. Contemplation of Christ should fill us with a joy that is above our circumstances. You know, you can be weeping and be joyful. And I'm not talking about weeping for joy. Something hard is happening and you're weeping. You still be joyful. It's not a circumstance-driven, shallow happiness. But think about this. Contemplation of Christ should fill us with joy that is above our circumstances, especially that Christ would humble Himself this way. To come and save sinners like us. Alfred Plummer defines the joy this way. He says that serene happiness which is the result of, watch this, conscious union with God. Of conscious possession of eternal life. Which raises us above the pain and sorrow and remorse of this world. 
a deep-seated joy and contentment in God. It's what this message brings by the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the great, one of the great examinations you can examine yourself with. Is this gospel bringing me great joy? Or am I thinking that I need more for joy? Would I walk up to Jesus and look up at Him on that cross and say, That's great, that's fine, that's cool, but I need more than you taking my eternal hell and providing me a perfect righteousness? And notice, look, it says this joy is for all the people. Not just the high and mighty, but the lowly and everybody in between. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. We know there will be a people from around the throne of God from every tribe and nation and people and language. All people groups and all social strata. This, jo- this gospel that will bring, yes, joy to you, the Jewish people as shepherds, but through you and out to the rest of the world. The angel tells them not to be afraid. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And what would you be thinking? Cool. What is it? I want to know that good news. Tell me more. Now that I'm not quite so freaked out. Now look what he says. And listen, this is their dreams coming true. They don't understand all of the details And it's going to take a while. But this is their dreams coming true because since they were born, probably, they've heard of this coming Messiah. That someday He was coming. And they may have misunderstood His mission. But it's been a hope and a dream. Oh, that I could live in the day when the Messiah comes. Look what the angel says to them. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is a Savior? A Savior is one who rescues, who saves, who delivers. And delivers from our, this Savior delivers us from our biggest distress and problem, which is sin. Fall into sin in the garden in Genesis 3 resulted in being lost and dead in sin and without God and without hope. I mean, remember we talked about this already, but His very name means salvation. Jesus. From the Hebrew Joshua, meaning Yahweh is salvation. This coming one and the news about his coming is what brings that great joy. And he's telling these shepherds that to you, this very day is born the one you've hoped for, longed for, prayed for, heard about, read scripture about. He's here. He's here. Let's just pause for a minute and uh, think about two things you must understand for great joy. There's, there's two necessary things that we all must understand for this message to bring us great joy. And I want to represent them by two words, need and news. I must understand my need 
so that then the gospel is good news. So what teaches me my need is God's law. And we remember in our memory work, we talked about the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Only one God, only one, the one that I'm looking to for the ultimate satisfaction and joy and purpose in my life. Commandment number two tells me how to worship him. Number three, reverence for his name and reverence for his day. Number four. And then not to commit murder, adultery, or stealing, or lying, or coveting what is my neighbor's. To to not only not do all the wrong things, but to always do all the right things in thought, word, and deed. That you've always thought the right way, and spoke the right way, and lived the right way in God's sight according to God's law and word. If that's true of you, you don't need this Savior that's coming. But listen, it's not true of you. And it's not true of me. It's not true of any of us. In the testimony of Scripture, there's none good, there's none righteous, there's none who can earn their own way with God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all broken His law. That's why I wrote, y'all remember, if you remember back, you know, eons ago when we were in Romans chapter 3, that the purpose of the law in verse 19 was to hush our mouths, to stop our excuses. For us to see what I deserve as a sinner, what I deserve from this holy God that these angels fly around and worship, my creator, what I deserve from him is condemnation because I have willfully and sometimes gleefully broken his law. I don't listen to him when it comes to his commandments. I am sometimes unjustly angry with others and, and, and look on others with lust and steal things that belong to others. And, and, and I, I just justify that. If you don't get your need, you'll never see the good news of the Savior. And listen, let me tell you something. The, you, your need is proven true by the resurrection of Christ. As well as the rest of the gospel. But you know in your own heart. Listen, we don't have to argue. You know in your own heart that there is a God. And you know in your own heart that, that, that you don't measure up. See, we deny that because we love our sin and want to keep pursuing our sin. And if we're not humble before God, remember the psalm we read? If we're prideful, then we get what we deserve. If we're humble before Him, we see the truth of our need. What was the great thing, you, the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee? Who got it? Who knew it? Who, who, who embraced his need? It wasn't the Pharisee because he's still prattin' on about how he's better than everybody else. It was the tax collector, one of the most hated people in the culture, who wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When I start to get my need, I start to grieve over my sin and hate my sin and see that I deserve condemnation and own that fact and cry out to God for mercy. And you know what? There's mercy available. So see, if you understand your need of your sin and your need of a Savior, then the second part, the news, is good news that will bring great joy. Because although you had broken God's commandments and spurned His law and went your own way, all we like sheep have gone our own way, right? 
Though we have done that, he sent his son who lived under the law, his own law. Eternal son of God took a human nature that he might fulfill all righteousness for the glory of the father and the good of his people. Because that righteousness he was going to credit to his people. But something had to take place before he could do that. Why do you think he died on the cross? Before the foundation of the world, God had planned this redemption to be accomplished by Christ, that He came and fulfilled all righteousness. He was the spotless Lamb of God predicted in the Old Testament, the one who was worthy of blessing before God, and He would come and fulfill that righteousness. And then for His people, as their high priest and their Lamb, bringing all this together, He went to that cross. And yes, He suffered physically horribly, but that wasn't what He sweat blood over. He sweat blood over drinking the cup of God's wrath dry for his people. See, the condemnation that we deserve, he took. The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans 6. But he says this, and here comes the great joy, good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because He perfectly lived for us and He perfectly died for us and He's perfectly risen for us that we might be forgiven of all of our sins and cleansed from all unrighteousness, clothed in His righteousness and adopted as children of God. My record of sin before the judgment bar of God went on the cross with Him and His record of righteousness at His resurrection comes onto my account. It is finished. The great exchange. He takes my sin and gives me His righteousness. This one was born. The one who, and the only one who could do that. See, if you understand your great need, what you deserve, if you understand that your sins cry out against you before God, that's why you're afraid to die. Deep down, we know we deserve judgment. But if we understand that Jesus came to give us peace with God by paying the penalty that our sins deserve, that He is the Savior and not you, that He gives us His salvation as a free gift, once you get this, you have great joy. Why? Because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Him. I can even in my most struggling day, have this joy because it depends on Him. And in my most where I think I'm doing the best that day, have this joy because it depends on Him. And everywhere in between, great joy. Listen, your Savior has been born. And see, from our perspective, not only has He been born, He's lived, He's died, He's been raised, He's reigning. He's coming again. The fact that He has taken my condemnation so that Romans 8.1 can say to the believer, no condemnation for you. No condemnation. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, no condemnation. All of your sin has been dealt with. Not just some, not just the... They didn't leave a couple for you to deal with. There's no purgatory for you. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no condemnation for you. To the extent that you get that, you're going to have great joy. To the extent that you're still walking according to your own understanding, leaning on your own ways, making God jump through hoops, which He doesn't jump through anyway, you're not going to have this great joy. There is a God and it's not you. 
And you know that. And he's proven his love by sacrificing his son. And on the basis of his sacrifice of his son, he commands us to repent. And that's the most loving thing he could do. So do you know this Savior? This one who was born and raised, died and raised and is reigning and returning again. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Look at this, at his birth. He didn't say who will be. Who is Christ. And when you see that word Christ, that means Messiah. That's Greek for anointed one, Hebrew anointed one, Messiah. Okay? Who is Christ. Now look at that. Laying in that manger, Christ the Lord. Lord at his birth. That word, that yes can mean master or sir. But in this context, and as Luke has used it in his gospel, this is a translation of of the old tetragrammaton, Yahweh. God, the Lord God. This baby is Lord at his birth. And he has come, look in the first part of verse 11, for you. So the Savior has been born, and secondly, he's been born in exactly the right place. The city of David. Why is it called that? Because it was David's birthplace. He's born in verse 11, the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Micah 5, 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming, is, come, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Born in exactly the right way, in exactly on the, the right day, in exactly the right place, fulfilling every prophecy in the Old Testament concerning him, which is impossible if he's not Lord. This glorious identity of Christ the Lord. See, this is the Messiah that was all through the Old Testament predicted. I'll just give you a few verses, and one of them is our memory verse. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head or crush your head. You shall bruise or crush his heel. Gospel predicted way back in Genesis. Psalm 2, 7 and 9, this is a king, Lord, at his birth. You are my son. Today I become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession, you will rule them with a rod, uh, you will rule them with an iron scepter, and you will dash them in pieces like pottery. In other words, he's the one who's going to judge. Isaiah 42, 1 and 4. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to. There's a lot of cry for justice these days, but it's not a justice as God defines justice. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations and he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. What kind of justice? Read his commandments. Isaiah 9.2. We're familiar with 9.6. Unto us a child is born. 9.2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone, the light of the world. Go back. I don't have time. Go, go listen to Road to Emmaus series if you want more of that. But read the Psalms. Read Isaiah, especially chapter 53. Read all of the Old Testament. Jesus taught the disciples on the road to Emmaus how all of that was about him. 
This one, this Christ, this the Messiah, this Lord, God in flesh. They were given an unusual sign. Look at it. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. This is how you're going to know when you find him. Right? He knew they were going. He didn't have to tell them to go find him. He knew they would go. He said, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, stop. That's not, a mirac- that's not an unusual sign. Babies are often swaddled. So his clothing is not the unusual sign. It's his location. He says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. What is a manger? It's a feed trough. He was in the stall with the animals and was was swaddled and laying on the hay in a feed trough. Look at his humility coming to be born. Is this how you would decide for the Son of God to be born into the world? No, it's not. But it shows his humility, his humbling of himself to save his people, beginning with his birth, to poor parents. Mary and Joseph were not rich. They were poor. They offered the sacrifice of a poor, of poor people when, at the temple. But that's another sermon. So you're going to go. Listen, you're going to, I know you're going to go. So this is how you're going to know. You're going to find this baby in a feed trough. So they knew where to go look. Where are feed troughs? Where the animals are. Right? And they knew exactly where to go look. And they found him. But they haven't gone yet. Watch what happens. He said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And listen. They can't take it anymore. The angels can't do it anymore. It's not just one angel of the Lord that's there. A multitude of the heavenly host is there. And they're like, okay, worship time. Look at it. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. I mean, think about that. They're in the field with the flocks. And if you saw this from a distance, you probably only see some light. Maybe kind of what we see and more. You see a stadium in the distance or a city. see this glow of light. But they were there, and this angel was speaking to them, and just when they're settling down a little bit, the sky is on fire with the glory of the Lord. A multitude, this is the point number three, angelic adoration. The angels burst forth in worship. More glory on the scene. I mean, imagine them, they're listening, and all of a sudden, they may have fell on the ground backwards, who knows. But don't just read over this. Look at that. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, worship breaking out, and saying. Now, some people look at this and try to make the case, and I'm not going depth on this this morning, that angels can't sing. And they don't sing because it says saying. Well, here you go, Job 38, 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy at creation. Case closed, move on. They can sing. It was an angelic choir. Why do you have to be such a fuddy-duddy? 
Okay? There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Look at that. Joyful worship. Glory to God in the highest. That ring any bells? In excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the high. They see a baby in a feed trough in fulfillment of all God's promises. The Messiah who's been coming and they couldn't wait for him to come. All of a sudden he's there and they've told the shepherds about it. And that's it. They check it off. They have got to worship. And they do. They're enthralled with the glorious birth of Christ in fulfillment to God's promises. And they burst forth in praise. What is the chief end of man? <laughs> to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Did you know that that same thing is the chief end of the angels? Well, they were created too. And that's what they're doing. Glory to God in the highest. And I guarantee you there's some passion in there when they're singing this. There's no yawning going on. There's great joy among the angels which will filter down, in fact, all those who get the gospel message really and understand their need and the news, the glorious good news of Christ. Look right here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those. This is the right translation of this verse, by the way. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Well, there's only one with whom he's pleased. What did he say from heaven? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What does his word say about the rest of humanity? None good, none righteous, no, not one. All fall short, all need. But this right here says... Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Those that will be blessed by his birth are, watch this, those with whom he is pleased. This is almost a technical phrase in first century Judaism for God's elect. Sovereignty right here in the opening of the Christmas story. Those on whom God has poured His favor. The peace of God comes according to His sovereign pleasure. And the shepherds are a perfect example of this. I'm not going to go into this big long sermon about election. I just want you to see that phrase. Those with whom God is pleased. Those who have been reconciled to God. Those who will own their need and own this news and trust not in themselves but in this Savior who is born. They are the ones who will receive this great joy and they are the ones who will have peace. Peace with God objectively and therefore peace subjective in their hearts relying upon His grace. Look at this glorious story. Read back through it again and think about it. Enter into being one of those shepherds and wow, all of this happening. But quickly, how do we, how do we imply this? Imply it? How do we imply this? How do we... See why not many should be teachers. We were talking about that this morning. How do we apply this? 
Well, there's a multitude of ways the Spirit could apply this to your own heart according to your own situation. But I'm going to suggest three. And it's about, remember, remember our main point. Remember the main point. Embrace the good news of the birth of your Savior and live in the great joy He has provided. This message is a message that brings joy. Great joy. So number one, embrace great joy, verse 10, by remembering the gospel daily. Embrace great joy by remembering the gospel and doing that on a daily basis. You need the gospel every morning because Luther says I need the reminder of the gospel every morning because I forget it every morning. Our default setting is legalism and we will default that way without remembering our need and the news of our Savior. Reminding ourselves both of our unworthiness and His great grace to us. Do you have this joy? Next question. Are you living in the gospel? The gospel is not a door you walk through and move past in the Christian life. The gospel is the water you swim in. It's the air you breathe. It's the everything of the Christian life. We can never forget who we were and our need. And we can never forget who He is and what He's done for us. We have to remember that every day. Christ died for my sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised the third day according to the Scriptures. And salvation is a free gift to me through faith in Him. And even that faith is a gift of God. So that I repent. I turn from unbelief to belief, going my own way to His way, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ this morning? Plow into that. Trusting in Christ is not a box you check off. It's a life you live. And how do you live it? By remembering, rehearsing, living in the gospel context on a daily, hourly, momently basis. Never forget whose you are. What you deserve in and of yourself, what he's done for you, and therefore whose you are and who you are in him. We've talked about that. So, so the first way to embrace great joy is just living in the water of the gospel. You're a, you're a, you're a, you're a fish who's swimming in the, in the gospel. Therefore, your heart is growing in love for Christ and in this great joy that is yours in Christ. Number two, we see this in the text. Even in, in the angels promoted joy. But in the shepherds, they went, they found, and they told. You can read the rest of that little story there in, in Luke 2. Two. Number two, embrace, the great, embrace great joy by speaking the gospel. The angels celebrated with great joy in being able to deliver that message. Finally being able to deliver that message. Woo, couldn't wait, and there it was. Behold your King, your Savior, your Messiah. And we, like the shepherds, have the honor of taking that message further. And I don't know about you, but I can testify for myself. When I get over myself and am willing to speak the gospel for Christ, there's always joy in the wake. Especially as I don't quickly become a legalism and beat myself about all the ways I could have done it. And let the evil one, the world, and the flesh tell me how much I failed. But it, in speaking for Christ, there's a joy that attends that. 
Embrace great joy by remembering this gospel, by speaking this gospel. And then thirdly, embrace great joy by applying the gospel. This gospel is meant to fuel your everyday life. Apply the gospel to your present. He's with you. He's for you. He's making you like His Son. He puts every one of your tears in His bottle. He's your shepherd who promises to give you everything you need. Even with you through the valley of the shadow of death. This life will hurt us, but it will never permanently harm us because of our Savior who is with us. So I can have joy in my present, even in the trials of this life. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. He's a true prophet. But be of good cheer. I have overcome it for you. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Because the gospel's true. And I'm being made like Jesus through these trials. We rejoice in our sufferings, Paul said in Romans chapter 5, because we know that God is at work in and through us in the midst of our suffering. And then apply, embrace it's the same heading there, applying the gospel. Apply it to your future. Your great joy fuels your hope in this world's suffering as you look to His second coming. Think about See, everything fights against you doing this as well. What, is your, what does future grace look like? What is your future hope? The return of Christ, when He returns, we're like Him, glorified. We go through the judgment where we're vindicated. We're into the new heavens and the new earth with Him forever. And perfect joy, satisfaction, and peace. See, I can live here and know where I live now in a dark, suffering, sinful, struggling world that's rejecting God and therefore going down the tubes. And I can live here with hope because of who He is for me. And He promises the darker the world gets, the more His light shines through His people. Now, legalists that go around beating people up and going about it all the wrong way, that's not light. That's annoyance, right? But good, humble gospel servants who are lovingly and joyfully sharing the light of Christ are what we're supposed to be. But as we apply in our hearts, see, that's why I prayed earlier to be so heavenly minded. We, we, we are to be heavenly minded, so will be earthly good. Read Colossians chapter 3 and, and look for that. Embrace great joy by applying the gospel to your present and your future, believing he's going to take you all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. All because of the great news, this great joy. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord, a humble, loving, holy, gracious Savior. Announced by the angels. This extraordinary announcement calls, I mean, caps all other birth announcements. No more saviors will be born. No more are needed. He is the all-sufficient one. Unto you this day is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So next time we sing it, think more about it. That He came for us to have this great joy. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her King. To live is Christ. Let's pray. 
Lord, we sang it earlier, but hallelujah, what a Savior. We, 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 when we get your gospel, we want to join those angels in singing glory to God in the highest. That you, Lord Jesus, would live in fulfillment of all righteousness for us. That you would take our sin and the guilt, the, the condemnation due us upon yourself. And because you were God and man, endure what would be for us eternal hell. You could endure that on the cross and say, it is finished before you left the cross. That your spirit would work in us under the sound of the gospel so that we would have faith to trust in you and to rest. Oh, Lord, I pray that for those listening to me. Some who are stiff arming you right now, thinking they know best. Grant them humility to repent and rest and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some are maybe having a weight attitude about a sin they're just attached to and backslidden in. Lord, show them the ugliness of that sin and cause them to hate it and turn from it. Lord, those of us who know you, may we just be fueled with love for you because of your grace. To live in this great joy that you've purchased for us by pursuing it in the means that you have given us. May we plow into with joy and fervor glorifying and enjoying our God because He has sacrificed His Son to save us. So let help us, Lord, during this holiday season and every other day for the rest of our lives to pursue and embrace this great joy by remembering the gospel and and, and by speaking the gospel and by applying this gospel to our present as well as our future. Help us to swim well in the gospel waters out of love for you because of your great love and grace for us. It's in Jesus' name that